Well, maybe a few words. I grew up, as Johnny said, as the son of my parents who planted the vineyard in Bern. Not that you'd know Bern, it's just some town in Switzerland, you know. And uh, yeah, my parents, they, they then were asked to lead the movement just as you were asked to lead the movement here. Uh, and so I grew up in the vineyard. That's the air I breathe. That's, that's what I know, really. <laughs> and uh, I've spent time here some, uh, some, I think, 17, 20 years ago the first time, and then 17 years ago I came again for some time. So it's a sort of homecoming as well. And um, I hope, I'll hope uh, you'll be able to follow me while I share some aspects, some things where that I felt uh, God asking me to share with you this morning. Um, I called the sermon today, Living in the World Adventure of God. Now, this is a literal translation of a book I'm reading in German. And German is funny. You can just combine words. Uh, you can combine like the word, the word world adventure, world and adventure. And I love it. The world adventure of God. We're living together in the world adventure of God. Even just the thought of that, when I saw the title, I agreed with everything that was written in it because I loved it, you know. So I want to start out with the question, why are you in church? Why do you come here? Why do you, why are you a Christian even? Why would you be a Christian in these days? Hmm. You know, in COVID times, many people with the lockdowns, they got used to being a bit, having more time and space for themselves, you know. And I don't know how it was here, but in Switzerland, many people kind of liked it, you know. Not so many things to do, less stress. So why, after COVID, do you come back? For me, um, I could not imagine a Sunday without church. Now, we're on holidays for seven weeks, but it was clear for me, Sunday, Urban, I'll be there. And then I, well, I also offered to speak, so I guess <laughs> I like doing that as well. <laughs> and they had me, so lucky me. But this is something just, it helps me. It's, it's part of who I am. I cannot imagine a Sunday without the church service. So even if we're far, that's what we do, because we're part of one body as we just celebrated. And this is, where, this is where we connect, wherever we are. But I want to go into it a bit more uh, deeper, even from the perspective of Paul. Now, at first, you might not see exactly where I'm coming to that point, why going to church. But we'll come to it at the end. So I'll ask you to open up your Bibles or, you know, to find the passage in Colossians Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 15, uh, all the way through 27, but first we'll read till 24. And what I find interesting here, we see Paul who has had a huge transformation, as most of you would probably know. He was persecuting the church first. That was his thing, you know. That was what he was known for. He met Christ, and his whole life changed completely. And probably you would know most of his stories, how he traveled, planted new churches, endured many difficulties. And 
I always ask myself, where does this, where does this man, where does he take this passion not to go once, not twice, but three times and going all the way, you know, directly into the heart of power of, these day, of his day, where that was really hostile to him. So let's read this passage, and it's uh, Paul talking about Christ. I hope you on Zoom can hear and see me too. <laughs> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him... All things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or power. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irres irreproachable before him provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church." So far for now. I don't know how you guys see Paul when you read him. Often when we read something, when we read scripture, we sort of have in mind more theologian-type persons. But when I read this passage, I see a man passionate. He's, he's, he's not, for me, he's not trying to find the exact words, thinking for hours. But he was always on the run, you know, dictating to his scribers what they, should, what, what they should write. So I see a man trying to find the right words, full of passion, maybe even crying sometimes of what he hears. And here in this passage, I see such, such a passion for this Christ, the one that he met and that changed all his life, that led him to saying, well, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I take joy, I rejoice in my suffering even. He was so caught by who Christ is that he was willing joyfully to suffer because he knew the cause. And he tries to describe how Christ really is, how he is everything. Through him, everything was created. And afterwards, through him, everything again was, re was reconciled to God. All that there is. And he... Probably if he would, uh, would have had more time and if paper wouldn't have been so, ex so uh, expensive. Hello, Bjorn. Nice that you came. Uh, no worries. And, and 
probably if paper wouldn't have been that expensive and if he would have had more time, he would just have gone on and on and on and on to describe how, who this Christ is, how beautiful he is, what he means to him. But he had to be short. And in this text, I find really interesting, it's really in a nutshell, everything of Paul's theology. God, it was everything was created through him and everything was reconciled through him. Not just man, but all of creation. It was proclaimed to every creature on heaven and on the earth. And he has become a servant to this message. And um, this passion, this is what, this is what drived him to stay to stay true to his com to his vocation to stay true through all kinds of suffering through all kinds of afflictions and that's something <laughs> i wish i had when i read paul i don't i don't first you know also but i don't first read him as how do i have to understand what is the correct interpretation of this but i see him as a man who was so um so known by christ so touched by him that, that the passion for this man just turned over his whole life. And that's actually my prayer for myself, that I would be caught up in God just as much as Paul was, and that in my life, wherever I am, that this motivation to, to know him more and to, to, to be a witness to what God can do, that, that, that's, that can be the essence of who I am. I find interesting, even he speaks of Christ as being the head of the body, the church. Now, we just celebrated communion, and this is wonderful and perfect. I love that. For me, it's not just, uh, obviously, not just an individual thing, you know. I don't go to take communion for myself. I know some people, they celebrate communion alone. For me, that's kind of strange. I don't know. I, I probably couldn't do that. Why? Because it's the gift to the church. In communion, we remind ourselves that we are his body together. Not just that I have been made new through his death, but that we're joined together. That's why in communion, I like to look at the faces around me. I look at the people. Now, if you look at each other, we are the expression of his body here the one expression that is called urban vineyard, that's us. Look at yourselves. This is his expression. He is the head of us, but now today we are put together as one body. And that is a clue we'll take along into the next passage. So we'll continue to read from 25 to 27. And this is where the whole adventurous part comes in, I believe. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And now comes the mystery that was hidden for ages. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we cannot, you know, obviously go through all of the story of the Bible, but 
God had an adventure with this world. He's an adventurous God. You know some of the stories, most probably, of God with his people, how, how he chose a people, how he saved them from a famine to be in Egypt, and how he then saved them from being slaves in Egypt, got them out of the land so they would find their own place where milk and honey flows. He's an adventurous God. And in all this adventure God had, when he chose one people, there was a secret, myst a secret hidden, a mystery that wasn't revealed, that he built up, his adventure built up to that point. Like in Lord of the Rings, the story builds up to some point. I have to speak about Lord of the Rings being Swiss in New Zealand, don't I? But we won't, we won't stay there. There's, it all leads to not just one people being chosen and not just one people being blessed, but the whole point has always been for one people to be blessed so that they would be a blessing. There's no better place than the arms of mom, is there? when you're crying. And this mystery was that through this people and through one, God would embrace every people, everyone, and not just people, but he would embrace and reconcile the whole creation as we read, that it would be taught to everyone that God reconciles everything to himself. As we've sung, holy, 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 that the holiness would inflict everything that before in the Old Testament, when people were impure, you know, when, when you touched something impure, you became impure yourself. But now, in the, in the new logic, when you touched something, when you were impure and you touched something holy, you became holy. So the holiness of God is something that, you know, all the adventure of God is leading up to a complete holiness of everything again. And to fulfill that plan, it wasn't just about Christ dying on the cross and then it's all done. But the mystery was that he would choose normal people like you and me. The disciples were quite normal people and Paul, first churches that Paul led, obviously too, because you might have remembered the passage where he says to them, look at yourselves, there are no smart people here. No one that people would choose, you know, there's no doctors, no whatever. You're just random, normal people. So, we're all good. <laughs> That's the whole mystery. That God would chose people like you and me to reveal his glory to the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I don't know for you, and most probably it's similar here than it is in Switzerland, but with all the conflicts going on, the pandemic, the different wars, you know, uncertainty that is ahead, it really feels like a time where people lack hope. Um, I don't know how it is here, but in our country, like the depression among young people is as high as never. The rate of suicides among younger people is, you know, it's a real problem, well, obviously, but it's a real crisis where, where we come from. People lack hope. People lack perspective. And probably here, too, we talked about it. People say, well, if you look at the climate, it's better not to have children because life won't be better. You know, the best you can do is not to have children. So imagine the perspective kids have if that's what we tell them. You know, there's really <laughs> many people are look at the future and they don't see anything bright. 
And this is where the mystery comes in. Christ, the new hope of glory. And I find it interesting that in English, you can be you and it can be you. It can be singular and it can be plural. And that's kind of a mystery too. It's Christ in me, yes. But not just Christ in me, but it's Christ in us. It's Christ in all of us together. Now, okay, so far so good. That's all nice theory, you know, nice interpretation of the Bible, maybe, maybe you're not. But what does that actually mean? Where does that, how does that look like? You know, for me, this is something I've been, you know, sort of this kind of passage. That's what I've grown up to, to be taught, grown up to hear, grown up to see. So even when I was a young child, I remember, um, uh, I remember that my parents, they were always active in all through the world. And um, it was always clear that we had a responsibility for the world. Now, of course, we cannot save the world, but it was always clear we can be active ourselves. So I remember at one point my parents came home from, I think it was, and it wasn't, it was Cambodia, I think. And they had just been uh, the Red Khmer. They've just taken over the country. And there were very many orphans. And I was like, I think, a five-year-old kid or something like that. And um, so we had like a family council, them telling stories from, from, that from, from, from Cambodia. And the question was, what can we do? And I remember me as a child, I thought, oh, well, I, I had a lot of collections of Native American stuff. You know, I loved to play. And so I thought, I'll make uh, an exhibition in my room, and uh, I'll get people to pay for it, and I'll just take half the money for myself, and half the money I'll donate for the orphans. I thought that was a pretty good deal, because that might get me half money, because, you know, people would come because of the orphans. So that's what I did. <laughs> I don't know if that was my logic, but probably it was. I was a child, a normal child. So... Uh, Within a few weeks, I made $600. Wow, you know, that's amazing. And because I sort of realized, okay, people didn't come to see that and give money for me, so I felt obliged to donate everything <laughs> to, to the orphans. So from an early age, it was very clear, hey, I can do something. I'm not just passive, you know. And if you're parents to children, I want to encourage you just to take in your kids. It's very simple sometimes to give opportunity to be part of a solution. Uh, not to think that you'll save the world, because we won't, we'll never. If something happens, it's always Christ, you know, it's never us. But that was an easy way for me to just, you know, grow up to know, no, I, I have power to do something, I can do something, or Christ can do something through me. And... I want to share some stories just to, to give more flesh to what I'm talking about and to help us understand how it might look like when we become the hope of glory for people. Um, I've been in, I've been in, I've li I'm living in a house and in this house there's a pizzeria below. So more story, multiple story house, that's kind of normal in Switzerland, we don't have as much space as you guys. And often I would hang out in the pizzeria, and one day I've seen a couple speaking Spanish, and they were discussing something in Spanish whilst ordering. 
and they just ordered one pizza margarita and no drinks. So it's quite obvious that they, money was an issue. It's quite obvious because, you know, why would they argue and then in the end just buy the cheapest thing on, on, the, on the menu? So I secretly paid for them because, after all, it's the house I live. It's my area, you know. I secretly paid for them and then I started to talk to them through Google Translate. Now, I don't know if you know how that works. You can talk into it and it translates and it speaks out. It's quite quite accurate, actually. So I started to speak to this couple, a young couple, and it turns out it was a Mexican couple. They were in Switzerland for two months. Uh, two, no, they were in Europe for two weeks. They worked for two years to have a trip for two weeks in Europe. And they were in Switzerland for one day, actually, or that was the plan. But on this one day that they were in Switzerland, in expensive Switzerland, you know, the the mother gave birth early to a child. It was in the seventh month. Month, So they got stuck as Mexicans, not speaking a word of, of German, of Swiss, or you know, any language other than Spanish, not knowing anyone, having their first child abroad in a very expensive country. And when I met them, they were already there for one month. So they really got stuck, and that was a terrible situation, having to explain to their bosses that they cannot come home because their baby is in the hospital, you know, in the sort of intensive care for new newborns. So I understood the situation. I talked to the boss of the pizzeria, who is a close friend of mine. He's actually a Muslim, but, you know, we're, we're very close friends. And as I told him the situation, it became evident for him that he would, you know, he invited them to go and eat in his pizzeria for free whenever they want. That was the first thing that really touched him. And I um, decided that I would um, go shopping with them in like a second-hand baby clothes shop and we got, we gathered, you know, everything you need when you have a firstborn. I thought, you know, they don't have family, they don't have friends around, someone has to take care of them a little bit. So we did and uh, luckily there was a lady speaking Spanish because I don't speak any Spanish. and. Um, as we were gathering all that stuff, you know, they, they wanted to refuse it. They said, no, no, you've done enough for us. That's too much. We cannot accept it. So I looked at them really angrily and I told to the woman that she should translate. And in Switzerland, it'd be very offensive culturally if they wouldn't accept that. <laughs> Which they did in the end. And we sort of became friends. I went to play football, soccer with, with Marco, the husband, the father. Um, we ate raclette, all the Swiss good food, you know, we made the meat, lots of cheese. Um, we just spent some time together, you know, and when the boy came out, we would pray for them a lot. We would go to the, they were Catholic, of course, so we went to the Spanish Catholic mass. They came to the vineyard, and yeah, it was a great time. And Marco, that, that was the, the, the husband, he called me once or wrote me once that he has a toothache, and he, he thought that he could endure it I just in Mexico to go to the dentist, but it was too painful. So he asked me if I know a dentist that would, you know, that would treat him on credit. And um, so I called a guy in the Vineyard Burn who was a dentist and explained him the situation. He said, oh, let that, let that man just come. So he came and he looked it up, uh, he checked his tooth and he couldn't fix it. He could only take out the tooth. So he sent him to like a student program where students you know, dentist students treat people that's much cheaper. And um, so I taught this story to another couple of the church, a family. And they were so touched that they put together money, even the teenage children, they gave some of their money to pay the bill. 
So in the end, um, he could go to the dentist, get his tooth fixed, and he didn't even have to pay because some people from the church were willing to pay. And um, interesting was, of course, I don't speak Spanish. So some people of our church do. So I got them involved to help to translate always now. You know, it's obvious that in all the story that we've just talked, we always needed people to help to translate, to speak. Even the pastor of the vineyard in Geneva, he's a Mexican himself. So I got him to help to speak, to translate. And in the end, I asked if the boy, Liam, if he already has a godfather, you know. And they said, yeah, well, in Mexico they do. And I said, well, but not in Switzerland. So I received the godchild in Mexico. Well, and this story, why do I explain it? I don't explain it to try to make myself look good. No, no that, would be wor that would be bad. But I explain it or I tell it to give glory to God. Why? If you think of this story, for this couple being stranded in a foreign country, knowing no one, having their first child, it was terrible. It's frightening. If you have children and you, know, you have a first, you remember your situation when you have your first child, most probably you would have had family around you or you know, a mother that could help you, you know, grandmother of the child. In this situation, that was terrible, frightening. But through the connection, through the us getting to know each other, through actually the expression of the whole body of Christ in Bern, people speaking Spanish, they could help me. People, you know, people knowing you know, knowing teeth, the dentist, he could help. All the people that got involved made that the situation of this family significantly changed. And yes, we prayed, and don't know if prayer really, I mean, it wasn't like we prayed for healing or anything. That was part of it all. But for this one family, their whole life situation changed because they met one of us. They met one of us. And Avi, that's the mother, she were, in con were still in contact. She wrote, after some months, she, she wrote to thank us, to say, look, we were in the most desperate situation. It was the darkest time. I did not know whether there was any light. But we met you, and through you, we regained hope. And now we know that there is a God who always cares for us. That's, how it that's what it looks like to be hope for the people around us. Christ in you, Christ in us, hope of glory. Now often we might think that, you know, what can I do? Especially in these days, we sang in one of, one of the songs, let the world not, what was the line again? Let, let, the, the intention, let the word not drive out, crowd us out, exactly. And I know today, I mean, in every time has its difficulties. And I think especially today, this is how we might often feel. You know, what can I do? All the great things in politics going on and uh, what could I influence? Um, and, and, and one reaction can be uh, that I just pull back to the world that I can control, that I'm sort of with my family, with my closest people. And, and that's where I put all my energy and that's where I put all my attention because after all, all the bigger, greater things I cannot change anyway. So what I can do is I will, I will invest my time into what is in my immediate influence. And it might cause us to become somewhat inward focused much more on the people around us that we already know 
and I guess especially, uh, well, that's for me something significant here. In Switzerland, you always, you, you walk much more, you see much more people walking around because we don't, you know, it, the cities are so small and ha built up high, so you don't have so much cars. People use more public transport, so you're constantly confronted with other people. Whereas here, you could just get into your car, drive somewhere, go home, and you, you haven't really met anyone. So I guess the danger of just being focused on the, your own little life, that's something that I would see quite, quite plausible here, you know, that that could happen. A theologian that I uh, read, he's he spoken of the venom of neo-stoicism. Uh, neo-stoicism, he's trying to explain that you kind of focus on your near life only, and that you, you, know, you protect yourself of the craziness of the world out there, and um, you know, sort of come fatalistic about what's happening out there, but you want to basically just influence and have a good time with the people who are close to you, a selected group of friends, you know, that match your opinion. Quite, quite, quite important these days, isn't it? You know, staying in your bubble, agreeing with the people that are you, that we, that you're around with. But I guess we're called to something else. I mean, most probably we we would not agree upon different issues. You know, me especially coming from a different background. But our unity doesn't lie in agreeing about things so much. If that would be the case, then <laughs> it would be very difficult to think about unity of the body of Christ. Our unity lies in Christ. We just celebrated it. We just gave an expression to it by eating of the, main of the same bread, you know. And I think that's what we're called to. We're called, he's the head, we're the body. And through us, he wants to reveal his glory, bring the hope into the world. But it works through us being together, like in this story. Everyone has something to give. It's never through one single person. But what we need is we need to be connected to each other. And we need to be open to the world around us. Now, in the pizzeria, I could have just minded my own business. And that was okay. That's okay sometimes, you know. But God opened my eyes for the situation, and it was a whole adventure that came out of it. And it still is. I might end up visiting them sometimes and coming to Mexico and being received like a king, you know. Most probably, they're really grateful, I can tell you. <laughs> That's what we're called to be and called to do. And it doesn't work if I'm just focused on myself, and it doesn't work when we're not properly connected to each other as an expression of his body. You understand? Quite, quite obvious, isn't it? And I think that's what God wants to do in every church, in every place. He wants us to be one because he wants to live in us, through us. He wants to bring hope to the people. That's the secret that was hidden, the mystery that was hidden for ages. And it was revealed through him, and it waits to be revealed to the people around us every day afresh, every day afresh. And what I like about the story that I shared, how, you know, there, there's nothing I can do to help these people. Me and my wife, we don't have kids, so I don't know anything about having a firstborn. You know, I, I couldn't say, look, I've gone through this as well. You know, I, I can tell you it's 
this and this and this is important. I, I have no such experience. I don't speak Spanish. I'm from a different culture. There are too many reasons to give why I could not be of any good in that situation to that couple. Quite obviously, isn't it? But no, that's not, that's not how the kingdom works. It took a slight attention of myself to realize what's going on. And then a stone was rolling. I became part of an adventure that I didn't even choose to be in properly, like the hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> and I got stuck in this adventure and I'm still in it. That's how God wants to reveal his glory to the people around you. And the good thing is, it won't just take you. That's, that's always my fear. That's my fear when I get into something that I would get stuck with a job that I feel overwhelmed by. I'll give you another example, like some, some time uh, last December before a year, I met uh, a Kurdish man. Like, my heart is really open for Kurdish people. God has put Kurdish people on my heart. So somehow I got to know this guy, and he was, as a refugee in Switzerland, he was really desperate, you know. And when the first time we met, for two hours, he was just, he was just, I don't know how to say that in English well, but he was just um, expressing all his pain, all his frustration, all his desperation. I was just there listening, and he was going on about how, how terrible Switzerland is, how bad God is, and blah, 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 blah. And I found out, like, he's a, he's a Muslim, and he's, he's been a true Muslim, and he was disappointed even by his own faith, but there was just, just all the rubbish coming out. And the only thing I said to him is, look, I pointed out to some mourning psalms. Is that mourning? Is that to mourn? Yeah? I pointed out to some mourning psalms and said, look, all that you said to me, you, you, might, you might just bring it to God. He, there's space. For, he, he has ears to hear that. You know, he, he's open to hear your heart. And just that, in that year, last year, we started what we call the Community Sunday, where we don't meet as a whole church, but we meet in different communities. And one of these communities, they're open specifically for Kurdish people. So it was easy for him to invite him there. And so he came, and the moment he came, the beautiful thing was, I wasn't his own reference person anymore, but there was a whole group that were inviting. And he got to know many of them, you know, and all of a sudden, it wasn't just focused on me. It wasn't just me trying to help him and come to his side. But there were many people. So when he had issues with the government, there's one guy in the group. He kind of knows uh, all the legal stuff. So I can, I can delegate that to this person. And someone is good with that, you know. So, so it kind of happened that the whole community together, we were on the path with him. And maybe in March that was... He sort of softened up and said, yeah, like, even if I'm sent back to Italy, that, that's the whole, you know, it's a system in Europe. If the first country you have your fingerprint, they have to treat your, your asylum request. And Italy isn't famous to be a good place. So he said, even if I have to go to back to Italy, I, I think I'll, I'll be okay. And time going on, he said, yeah, I, I, he, he started to say that, he now hears about Christ and everything he hears is really beautiful. That's like, that's what he always thought faith should be about, but that he isn't quite sure. And you could see just the transformation of him. And 
first day, the first day I met him, he was like a man who was really ugly. Ugly, not in a physical, you know, it's, I, I don't know if you know this kind of situations where people are so full of desperateness and pain that they're actually, th their expression is kind of ugly. I don't know if you can relate. It's people you really don't want to be uh, with because they just suck out everything. That was what, how he was the first time I met him. And some six mon months later, he had, he had, after, you know, talking and the whole community being involved, he decided to become a follower of Christ and he got baptized. And he's now a shining man that everyone loves to spend time with, you know. And that's, that's Christ in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory who can change a person's life. And in this situation, in the beginning, I was really frightened that I would be stuck with this guy. And because I'm following Christ, you know, I kind of had to stuck with him. I couldn't just leave him because that would be very wrong to do, you know. But it was the community that took him in that made it possible for him to experience through the love of Christ in the community a huge change. Probably I should end soon, shouldn't I? Yeah, I should. So let me wrap it up. We are here. I'm here, and I hope you're here. I believe you're here. Because somehow you've been caught by Christ, the passion that he had gone through to make us be reconnected to God. Most probably that was part of your journey at some point. We, we come to church. We celebrate God's presence with each other. We celebrate communion because Christ, first of all, has given himself to us. We've been caught up in his love. And then I go to church. I believe we come to church because this is the place where we are reminded of who we are together, having new direction, looking in the same direction together, celebrating God, to be able to go out during the week to be hope for the people around us and then to come back and share the stories of what God has done through us so we might be encouraged to continue the next week. That's why I go to church. That's how it, going to church for me is connected to the world adventure of God. Going to church isn't just some random thing I have to do because it's sort of expected. It's the place of energy. It's a place of being connected. It's a place of sharing what God has done this week and of seeing other people, encouraging them to, to together live in his adventure out there. I wouldn't want to miss it any time. And in order for us to be hope of the world, it takes that we're ready to take a step out out of our own little world, out of our own little network of friends. And sometimes it's just little things, like paying for someone the food, you know, just money. Money is nothing, basically. We give it mu much too much glory in, in our time, don't we? Sometimes it just needs that. And it needs us to be connected to each other. So I want to pray for two things today. First of all, I want to pray for if you're here and you feel like you lack the passion that Paul has, 
you feel like you would like to get that passion again. This kind of first love thing. I want to pray for you. That's the one thing. A passion that leads you to be willing to serve even outside of your comfort zone. That's the first thing I want to pray for. And the second thing is um, where you feel that inside of the expression of this, you know, this expression of the body, the urban vineyard, if you feel that there are things where you need to somehow need, where the body needs healing, let's call it that, you know, where the, where the different parts are not quite joined together as they should, and where you feel like you have something in that where, th where you would want to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. That's what I would want to pray for too. So the unity of, the, of this expression of the body, the urban vineyard. Is that okay? Should we do that? So let's do it like this. If, you, if, you, if either of this is something that, that you would want prayer for, uh, I just ask you, well, maybe we all stand, and, and then I just ask you to put your hand on your heart. And I don't know how you're used to praying for each other. Yeah. If you, let's do it like this. If it's something private that you wouldn't want to share with someone now, but it's much more between you and God, put your hand on your heart. But if you actually seek prayer, if you would want to pray for someone, then just make yourself known. Put up your hand or something. And we'll pray, we'll pray for that too. So if you want prayer, raise your hand. And if it's just something between you and God for now. So Father, we just thank you. We invite you to come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we cannot be <laughs> we cannot be hope of glory through our own strength. We can never, and we never want to try. But we're convinced that through you, we're convinced that through you, lives can change around us. So you might have a look around for people who are raising their hands, and you can just approach them to pray for them. Yeah. Just feel free. Pray for people. Come, Holy Spirit. You know, uh, when, while I was here, when I came here, when I walked in here first, my thought was this. The urban vineyard, you have everything it needs. You have everything it needs to be a change in this city. If you think of the first disciples, it was a group of 12. They were much more than a group of 12. And you know much more than they knew then. You do. They had fights like we have fights, normal. But they were focused on one thing. And, and I want to proclaim that over you. I feel like God wants to tell you, each and every one of you, you're enough. I want to work through you. 
I love you and I love the people around you. And I feel like God wants to tell you, I, I have the desire to make myself known through you. I have the desire to spread the hope of the kingdom, the hope of glory through you. And I feel the, the Lord saying over you as a church that he calls you sort of into a new season. Now, it's always easy to say that when you come from far away and it's the first time you come someplace. But that's what I sensed. He wants to heal the body and then he wants to continue the path of serving your communities. And Lord, I pray I play over this church, over each and every one. Come with your passion. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself afresh. <clears throat> Remind us all of the beauty of what you can do. Help us to have the attention on you, on what you want to do, Father. Reveal yourself afresh. Give us new this passion for who you are. This motivation to serve you, to even endure suffering like Paul did. Give us this passion afresh, Father. And from this place of knowing you, from this place of knowing that we are joined together through you who are the head of your body, let us be one. Let us be one. And let the sacramental sign of the communion, let that become a reality of our everyday life that is experienced during the week and celebrated on Sunday for people to see that we are one new people and that we seek to be blessed in order to be a blessing for others, Father. And this I proclaim over you as a church. This I proclaim over you. A new unity that is not made, but that is, reef, that is found again in Christ. And a new sense of vocation to spread, to be, to be signs and, and agents of the glory, of the hope of glory that lies within you as a church, as individuals and as a community.